The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. The NATO Summit, Life on the Ranch, and Things to Do with Forged Vegetables. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving so I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I sure appreciate it. Well, today I've got several directions I'm going to go, and I'm going to start off with the world news and world events. But before I get into the meat of the show, I want to talk about a few things that's happened out here on the ranch that I just can't wait to tell you all about. I'm finally done calving. It was so hot and dry last summer that I think my bull wasn't much good. I think my bull started to show his age a bit. But the last one to calve was the first calf heifer. This was her first baby. And I looked at her really close the morning she calved. And I decided she was about a week away. Because she wasn't really showing any signs of the calf being right there. She still hadn't really dropped and she hadn't came to milk and... She just didn't look like she was going to calve for another week or 10 days. And for some reason, that evening, right at sundown, I decided to go out and check. I don't know why I did, because I had convinced myself that she wasn't going to calve for a while. But when I got there, she was in the middle of having the calf. And I thought, well, she fooled me. So I thought I'd step back a few paces and 
not press her at all and let her have her calf. I noticed the calf was having trouble breaking the fluid sack that he was in, and she was having the calf fairly well. I could tell she was struggling quite a bit, but she was making progress, so I didn't want to get in there and mess anything up. I wanted nature to take its course. And I kept waiting for the fluid sack that was around the calf's head to break, and it didn't. And there was more fluid in that fluid sack than what I thought normally should be there. Apparently all the fluid went to where the calf's head was. Because as the calf was being born, his head was engulfed in quite a bubble of liquid. Well, that spells trouble because the calf has to take a breath, and that's what gets him going. And I watched her, and she gave a couple more pushes, and I saw the calf was coming. And then I saw the calf try to breathe in, and I saw a lot of that liquid go down. And I saw the outline of the calf's nostrils up against the fluid sac. And so I know that calf at least breathed in a pint of fluid. Well, I think I would have got an Olympic medal for how I jumped the fence. I knew I only had one chance at this. If I scared the heifer and she ran off, then the calf had already breathed in enough to do it in. And so I quick stepped around her blind side so she couldn't see me. And I just sprang like a tiger, and I grabbed that fluid sack and ripped it open. And I saw the calf was in a little trouble. And also the heifer saw me at that time, and so she was not going to push anymore. She was going to run away, and I knew that was going to be the end of that calf. And so I kind of impressed myself. There's been lots of guys I've been around my whole life that have done things that I thought were incredible as far as strength, and I've never been able to do anything like that until this moment. I guess adrenaline really got me, because I grabbed that calf's front legs, and when you pull a calf, you generally have to use chains or ropes, but most people use calf-pulling chains, and a lot of the times you have to have a mechanical puller because calves are hard to pull. Well, I could see the calf was kind of locked at the hip, and I grabbed the calf's front legs, and I stopped her, just for me holding on to the calf, and she couldn't move. And when she stopped, I took that moment to reach and grab the head of that calf, and I shook it violently, and about a pint of fluid came flying out of its nostrils. And I thought, well, maybe I took care of that, now to get the calf out. And how wet and slick a newborn calf is, is incredible. But my grip would not let go. And I actually pulled that calf with my bare arms, with very slick fur, on that calf. I had such a grip on that calf, there was no way I was going to let that calf die. I didn't yank the calf out, I drew him out with my forearm. It was kind of like when you curl weights. That's kind of how I pulled that calf. I just drew that calf up to my chest with my forearms. And when the calf hit the ground, I knew it was up to the calf to survive at that point. I'd done everything that I could. The calf had to try to take a breath. and It was about three or four seconds I was kind of wondering. And then all of a sudden he took a great big breath and then he started coughing and sneezing. And I knew he was going to be all right. And I'm happy to inform you that the calf is doing well. And I have to say that I don't have a dull life, that's for sure. I have so many things going on that it's incredible. And I'm not succeeding on everything because i just bitten off more than I can chew, but 
but that's kind of the way I am. I like to be busy. I like to do things. But anyway, I thought I'd let you know what's going on out here at the ranch. And, uh, and also, I'm done calving, which is great. And the reason I'm telling you these stories is I think it's really important that we all live our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm getting so sick of this Zelensky creep and Biden and the world events. and It's just sickening. And Kamala Harris, that idiot, today came out and made a statement about depopulating the world would be better for our children so they could have clean air to breathe and clean water to drink if we would reduce the population. And so we have all sorts of just evil going on all over the world, and I frankly am sick of it. And I'm trying my best to live a normal life, which is hard to do when you're studying for a radio show to try to inform people of what's going on. I just cannot stick my head in the sand and just pay attention to myself because then I'm not being true to you or myself because the reason that I'm doing this radio show is to be a help. And so no matter how ugly things get, I have to still research it and take a look at it. But I figured out that one of the things that they're doing in the psychological operation is they're keeping us from thinking our own thoughts. We're thinking about Ukraine. We're thinking about the trillions and trillions of dollars we're in debt. We're thinking about whether we're going to have food to eat. We're thinking about the safety of our family. We're not thinking thoughts about getting ahead and having a nice life and raising good children and giving them a good education. A lot of these, a lot of these events that are happening all over the world are formulated to take us off our game. And I have to admit, for probably 18 months, I was really off my game. And I finally realized that when they get me off my game, and when they get you off your game, the globalists and evil people, they win. Because that's something they're trying to do. And so from time to time, I'm just going to give you some stories of what's happening out here. <clears throat> and let everybody know that I do other things and just sit here and talk. As I said, I'm very busy. And I like it that way. Well, they just concluded the summit, that big NATO summit that everybody was so scared something was going to happen. All the people in NATO thought that Russia was going to somehow attack their conference, and they had all sorts of soldiers on the ground and anti-missile batteries, and the skies of Europe were filled with warplanes. And they're really flexing their muscles. But I have to tell you that my takeaway of this whole thing is that we witnessed the first death pang of NATO. I really think NATO's not long for this world. When they took group pictures, it looked like a bad frat party with a few women thrown in. These people are incompetent fools. Take a look at the pictures of all these leaders of all these countries in Europe, and they almost acted like they were on a senior class trip or something. They were just giddy. They were just so happy to get together and talk about how bad Russia is and how many Ukrainians that they can finally get killed off before Ukraine wakes up to the fact that they've been used. I know this whole episode with Ukraine. I've sounded like I don't like Ukraine quite a bit, and that's not true. 
I don't like Ukraine's government. I think Ukraine's government is evil. And I think Ukraine's government is lying to us and their own people. And they're actually pimping themselves out and fighting a proxy war for the West. Do you think that if Ukraine would win this war, which they're not going to, but if they would win, do you think that they would get any of the spoils of war? Or do you think the so-called elites and powerful countries of the world would swoop in, just like vultures, and they'd pick the bones clean? They might give, they might give Ukraine a pat on the head and say, good job, but they're not going to get a seat at the table. And the sooner the average Ukrainian wakes up to that, the better. But I saw a very weak and feckless group of people. I saw people that I wouldn't hire to even have them water my garden. I don't think that they're capable of even that. I saw people that are so full of themselves and they're so encased in their own little dream world and their own delusions that they actually think they matter. And I think the entire world saw what I saw. I don't know to what extent, but it was just so obvious how weak and feckless that NATO really is. And the real winner out of the whole NATO summit was Russia. Because Russia looked like it was governed by adults. Russia looked like it was governed by people that had resolve and backbone. You may not like what Russia has done. You may not like anything that's going on as far as Russia is concerned. But if you're honest, you'll have to admit that they have stood very strong against all of this world opposition. But also China saw the weakness of NATO. So did Africa. So did all of Asia. So did all of South America. Every continent in the entire world saw how weak and feckless this group of imbeciles are. And their organization, it was founded as a defensive organization to keep the Soviet Union and the spread of communism in check. There's no reason for NATO to exist because the Soviet Union does not exist. And NATO ceased being a defensive organization and became an offensive organization. And to hear that Stoltenberg, the leader of NATO, to hear him talk, it's like NATO is its own country or its own entity that NATO actually trumps the sovereignty of all these other countries. And nothing could be further from the truth. NATO is a spineless, horrible organization that I still feel that they are going to get us into a world war because of all the trillions in debt that the United States is. And also, almost all the G7 countries are in a mess. Their economies are horrid. And if there's any truth to the rumors that there was a 4,000-page document, it was the plans of NATO to go to war with Russia. And these plans were dated before 2014. And so, and so this whole thing with Ukraine toppling their government in 2014, that's part of the plan of getting into a war with Russia. I don't know if it's just greed or stupidity or both or other things, but we the people, and I'm talking about us worldwide, all we are to these elites are cannon fodder, worthless eaters, just digital numbers that they would like to reduce. 
And I really do hope that the world wakes up to this total evil that has engulfed the entire world. And I do see some signs of hope. I do see some people waking up. And I don't know what you think about Tucker Carlson. I'm still kind of on the fence with him. But I have to admit that he does good work. The reason I'm on the fence with him is that it's my understanding that he was raised in kind of a journalistic, elitist society type of a little bubble. But I think he does get it. And I did watch him destroy Mike Pence. Of course, that's not hard to do. All Mike Pence has to do is wake up in the morning and he's destroyed. But when Tucker Carlson questioned Mike Pence about all the military support for Ukraine and all the money, and all the money that needs to stay in the United States, and that the United States people were hurting, this idiot Pence said, Well, that's not my concern. Then he said, I'm running for the President of the United States. It's like, okay, you're not concerned about the people of the United States. That's why you're running for President of the United States. If there ever was a loser in politics, it's this Pence guy. He is absolutely horrid. I didn't like him as Vice President, but I've grown to really despise him. He's smug and arrogant and he's stupid. But one of the reasons these politicians are so smug and arrogant is they know that they can buy their way into office. They know how to change numbers. They know how to throw elections. But I think worldwide the people are getting wise to all of this, and it's my hope that someday we the people, as in the people worldwide, will be under just governments again with duly elected people. But before that's going to happen, there's going to have to be some major, major horrible things as far as revolutions and really big things are going to have to happen because either these people are going to change their heart and they're going to give the countries back to their own people or they're going to have to be forced out because they're not going to be voted out. They've already fixed all the elections. I don't think there's going to be another honest election again while this era of politicians is still in power. I just don't see it. But I think the weakness of NATO is a very good sign. I think NATO is so weak and feckless that they thought that they would play a game of chicken with Russia and Russia would lose that game. And That's one country you don't play chicken with is Russia. Russians are just too tough and their politicians are way too tough for that. And so if somebody was bluffing, I would bet it was NATO that was bluffing. And it seems to me that the NATO countries are terrified of Russia. As long as they have their little group where they have their little satanic symbols. Like, did you see the symbols that they used for this NATO summit? With that gothic, like, 33 with the upside-down NATO logo. Looked kind of like an upside-down cross. It was rather satanic-looking. As long as they hide under that banner... Well, they strut around like banny roosters. But if Russia notices one of these countries that are doing unfriendly things towards their country and they call them out, all of a sudden they just get limp-wristed and, and their legs turn to jelly. And so if there is a problem with Russia, if Russia gets delusions of grandeur and wants to conquer all of Europe, 
to quote-unquote get even. I have a feeling there are people in Russia that see so much weakness in the West that they might be fool enough to try that. Of course, that would get us right in the middle of World War III as well. But week after week, I've come on the show and told you to prepare and told you that things were getting bad. And they do get worse every week, but still nothing seems to happen. And I guess I'm to the point of where I'm convinced something will happen, and it'll probably happen when we least expect it. But I'm also convinced that we have to start living our lives independent of all the prepping and all of the things that we're doing to try to stay alive in this totally wacky world. I know that we're not very safe, and our children are definitely not safe. We have predators after our children, a lot of satanic people. And it seems like once the cat is out of the bag, people try to normalize it. Now they're trying to normalize pedophiles, and they're trying to normalize Satanists, and all these people that are stalking your children. They're coming out of the closet, and pretty soon we're going to have the pedophiles are going to be marching, and I don't know what symbol they're going to steal. But they'll find a symbol and steal it, like the alphabet people stole the rainbow. But for some reason, all these elitists think that they own your children. Very, very sad. And there was a young man that graduated from high school here in this area. He was from North Platte, Nebraska. It's my understanding that he went to Arizona for graduation. After graduation, he had a trip. He was there for a very short amount of time, just maybe a day, a day and a half, and they found his body burning on a bonfire. He'd been sacrificed, and they were burning his body. And so this naive kid from the sticks goes to Phoenix, and somehow he runs into a satanic group that decided that he was that he was expendable, he was perfect for their sacrifice. And so things can hit pretty close to home. As a matter of fact, I was getting gas for my tractors, because all of my old tractors are gasoline models. And it was very late in the evening, it was about 10.30 or 11 o'clock, and so I went to an all-night gas station, and I was in line to prepay for my gas, and all of a sudden, these two young people came in and started harassing the clerk, and the clerk told them to leave because apparently they'd been there earlier and they trashed the place, and she just got it cleaned up, and they were back, and I don't know if they were on drugs or what they were, but... They were absolutely insane. And there were three or four other customers, and we saw these people verbally abusing the clerk, which I'd had, I'd had enough of that. And so I decided, well, I was going to make my presence known. And so I took two steps forward. Then all of a sudden, one of these perpetrators screamed that he's going to come over the counter, and he was going to put a beating on this clerk. And I was just about ready to step in and tell him, over my dead body, you're going to beat that clerk. Because I don't go for such nonsense. And when they saw me stepping forward, they decided to take their soft drinks and throw them at the clerk, and kind of halfway between the clerk and me. And that made quite a mess. And then they ran out and got in their hotel room, which was just about 20 yards from the front door of this gas station. I thought, wow, how stupid could you be? You assault, the, you come in and assault the clerk, and you vandalize. Then you go hide 20 yards away in your room. Well, of course, the cops showed up in about five minutes and went and drug them out of their room, and 
I think they got free room and board that night, but what I'm trying to say is that it's getting dangerous everywhere. And I didn't do much, but I am going to tell you what I was prepared to do. If they would have tried to cross that counter, I was going to grab them and hold them down till the cops got there. I'm not a big guy, but I'm very strong. And I'm very determined. And you can knock me down, but I can guarantee you I'm going to get back up. And I guess I've hit the point that I just don't like this world we're living in. I really don't. And I want to stand up for good. I want to stand up for freedom. I want to stand up for we the people. I want to stand up for I want to stand up for Almighty God. I want to represent myself. I want to live in a place of honor and a place of joy and we just don't anymore. I don't know if I'm naive and just remember something that really wasn't so, but I don't remember the world being this angry. And I don't remember the world being this dangerous. Oh, it's always been dangerous. I mean, when I was a young man, we had the Charles Manson group and and all the crime spree that those people did, the murder and so forth. And so there's always been psychopaths all throughout history. But it seems like being a psychopath is a fad right now. You have what society calls Karens running everywhere that are willing to stick their nose into anything and get involved and try to get physical and get abusive, it seems like they thrive on it. And that's really not a pleasant world, and I would really love for us to live in a pleasant world. And I've kind of become a recluse in a way, because every time I leave the ranch, I see something that I don't want to see, or I hear something I don't want to hear. It just seems like this world is encroaching on this sheltered little place that I live in, this whole area. The people are fairly naive as far as having street smarts. I don't know how many of them could survive in the inner city. I don't know how many people from this area, anyway, could go to the inner city and survive. I don't think they'd stay there. I don't think they'd stay there over a day or two and they would get out. But it seems like that lifestyle that's happening in the inner cities is coming to a town near you, if it's not in your town already. And that's really sad. And so while I want everyone to keep prepping, and I want everyone to stay vigilant, because it's going to happen, I don't know when, but the way I look at it, you don't spend the hundreds of billions of dollars that these people, if not trillions, to send the amount of soldiers that have been placed all over the world and not use them. There's no way that we spent the millions and millions of dollars that it, take, that it took to get all of our personnel and all their equipment over to Europe. But it was not cheap. And then maintaining the force over there is not cheap. And so I have concluded a long time ago that any nation that is willing to spend the money and all of the resources for that large of a military buildup, they do plan on using the military, or it wouldn't be there. So I do think in some point in time, someone is going to do something stupid, and we're going to be right in the middle of World War III. But I do think that there's another side to everything. And that other side is living your life and being as happy as you can and be as stress-free as you can. I get a lot of people that contact me that are very stressed out. 
We live in a horribly stressful world right now. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's part of their psychological operation. And I've noticed there's not as many people doing hobbies as there used to be. And so if you have a hobby that you used to enjoy and you just kind of quit for whatever reason, you might want to rethink being away from your hobby. You might want to get back in it. Or if you want to try new hobbies. I think we need to keep our minds full of positive things, constructive things, things that are good and wholesome and beautiful. Because we see the ugliness of the world every day. And we can only take so much of that before it starts working on us. Well, on the other side of the break, I'm going to be talking about some ideas to use with foraged food that I've been trying, and it's been really working well for me. And so I think that that's where I want to head this show, is back to the survival. But it's not only survival food. I think that the whole corporate thing is really a turnoff to me. I'm not an anti-corporate person like these Occupy Wall Street people who are just a paid rent-a-mob as far as I'm concerned. I've never disliked corporations because they're corporations, because I do understand what a corporation is and the benefits and so forth of being incorporated. But with that said, I think we have a lot of oligarchs that are springing up out of that corporate world. And I think that extended shelf life and profit margin trumps anything as far as nutrition of food or palatability of food. I think we're living in a time where everything is governed by what the corporations decide to do. And I know that eating food that you forage might turn some people off because they've been so brainwashed into thinking that they have to buy food from a store and it has to be bona fide human food. As if I'm eating animal food or something, when I'm eating vegetables that God put on this planet for us to eat. But I literally have about 20 acres of lamb's quarter. And it's getting really tall because we have had rain this year. And the older it gets, the ranker it gets. But there are ways that you can still use the older and rank lamb's quarter. I combined lamb's quarter and cauliflower. Now you might be shaking your head and go, wow, that's kind of an odd combination. But let me tell you something. It worked. I have never enjoyed cauliflower as much in my life. And actually, I've never enjoyed lamb's quarter as much in my life. They complemented each other just beautifully. Now, lots of times, people have cauliflower and broccoli. And this was kind of reminiscent of that. Only the lamb's quarter, when it cooks down, looks more like spinach. And it doesn't have the body that broccoli has. But the flavor of the lamb's quarter and the cauliflower was a match made in culinary heaven. Absolutely perfect. I added some salt and pepper and butter. That's all I did. And I have to say that was one of the most savory side dishes I've had in years. As a matter of fact, next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to buy two or three heads of cauliflower because, like I say, I've got about 20 acres of lamb's quarter. I can't eat but just a few handfuls here and there. But I found something that has become my new favorite vegetable, and it's a combination of those two. And the spice plants are now starting to really mature. And so I've been gathering my native spice plants. And if you haven't done that yet, you need to really do some research. 
because you don't want to eat anything you don't know what it is because there are foods that can harm you. But do the research and find out what plants in your area can be used as spices. And once you have your own spices and you process them yourself, and I use a stone mortar, that's how I process mine. I, I powder it that way. But you've never had spices from a grocery store or from a specialty food store, for that matter, that are going to be as fresh and wonderful tasting as what you're going to make. I have two types of wild mint here. Matter of fact, I have probably 10 acres of mint. And other than the fact that it makes me sneeze when I process it, I really enjoy handling mint. And I like to buy dark chocolate and combine it with my wild mint and make my own dinner mints. And they're better than any dinner mints you would have anywhere else. And in my dinner mints, I add just a little bit of butter too. That kind of ruins their shelf life when you put butter in them, but they don't last long around here. I end up eating them fairly soon. But I'm going to be talking about more foraged food and more things like that on the other side of the break. So I'll be right back. I would like for each of my listeners to send me an email to let me know how you listen to this program. Whether by radio, podcast, or one of the video casts, I'd really appreciate it. That helps me plan the future direction of this program. And I want to assure all of my listeners, I don't keep any emails or email addresses. And so your email address is 100% safe with me. It will go no farther than my inbox. In my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. And I invite you to visit the website, which is offgridliving.faith, where you'll find links to more information on the show. And also, you can access every one of my Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show episodes on my website. Again, that's offgridliving.faith. If you're listening on frequency 7490, you're listening to the planet WBCQ, Monticello, Maine. And if you're listening to 5850, you're in tune with WRMI, Radio Miami International. And if you're tuned in to 89.3 FM, you're listening to Key Radio, Osage Beach, Missouri. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail, check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you. 
Welcome to part two of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. This is Jim Calhoun, and I really appreciate you tuning in today. Well, today I'm kind of all over the map like I normally am, but it seems that it's hard to focus on one thing without something just coming in and grabbing your focus and making you pay attention to it. And that kind of lifestyle ends up running everyone ragged, so I hope that that's not happening to you. It's been happening to me quite a bit, but like I said in the first half of the show, I'm doing whatever I can to try to live my life as normal as possible without all these evil people having to change my mood, or worse yet, make me change my plans. These people that are in power have caused enough destruction. It's time to start taking the power back, and we have to start with taking the power back in our own lives. And if there's anything you get from this show, I hope that that is something that really sticks with you today. That you have the power to take your own life back from these absolute evil people. And it's time to do so. Well, my garden kind of got away from me this year. I asked a month or so ago for prayers for rain because the drought was so horrible here. Seems like it's rained about every other day since then. So thank you again for your prayers. Now everyone's about three weeks behind in their harvest because it's too wet. Normally the wheat is all harvested out of here about July 4th to July 7th. That catches most of the wheat. We've had so much rain that the fields are too muddy to get into and also wheat is a crop that you can't have high humidity and have any luck with your crop. Now you can harvest it as high humidity but you have to run it through grain dryers and that's very expensive and and it's also labor intensive. But even when we have our nice warm days with no clouds, the humidity is still way above normal here. So humidity's been a problem with mowing hay and handling hay. And I know that everyone has hay that's been on the ground for over a week, including myself, that we haven't been able to touch. And so we're hoping that we have a break from the rain and allows us to catch up a little bit before it rains again. It'll eventually stop raining enough for us to get our crops all harvested. But with that said, the garden has been so muddy that there's parts of the garden that you can't even hardly get into because of the mud. And I haven't had to even hook up a garden hose this year. I have not once watered my garden. My garden is about the size of a lot you would have in a city, so it's not tiny. But the vast majority of my garden is field corn because it's open pollinated corn that I can save the seeds and I want to plant a bigger crop next year. And so what I did was I used most of my garden to grow seeds for my next year's crop. And last year, by this time, the cows had already destroyed all my corn. This year they didn't destroy it at all. Everything is going great. And the old saying, knee high by 4th of July, is kind of outdated around here as far as my corn, because my corn was about five feet high at the 4th of July, and it sprung up over the last several days. And I walked out amongst my corn, and I have some corn that is over seven and a half feet tall. Now, it's a variety I've never planted before, and if you had corn that tall in a windy region, well, you're going to have what's called lodging. The corn is going to go down, because this corn is just super tall, but if someone was cutting silage and making insulage out of corn and they needed all that roughage, 
I tell you, this is a great variety. It's called Wapsie Valley. And I've never tried it before, and I'll give you a report of how it does. But it's some of the most beautiful corn I've ever raised, and the stalks are very impressive. They're very, very sturdy stalks, and I don't see anything suckering, which is what happens when you have different corn plants start to spring up from the bottom roots of your corn. It tries to send up a second stalk, and those second stalks are never productive. But it takes a lot of energy and water and nutrients for away from the plant. So suckering is not a good thing. And I don't see hardly any suckering at all with my corn. And so I'm pleased with that variety so far. And I haven't seen any lodging. I don't even have any leaners out there. They're all straight and tall and looks good. And for open pollinated corn, it's the most uniform corn I've ever had. Now with the modern hybrids and the GMO corn, they're basically clones of each other. And so if you see a field that has a trillion plants out there, they're all basically cloned. They're the same plant. They got the science of agriculture just really, really down to the fine line of how to really create yield in crops. Whereas the old open pollinated, each plant is an individual. It's not a clone or a twin or anything. It's totally individual. And so sometimes you have some pretty ragged open pollinated fields where you'll have one corn plant that's five feet tall next to one that's three, next to one that's seven. But I don't have that. Everything looks really, really uniform and nice. And if I can just keep the white-tailed deer out of it, I'm going to have a really nice harvest because it's already starting to tassel out. But the rest of my garden is kind of suffering. The weeds are growing faster than I can keep up with. And also, I'm so far behind in the hayfield when it has a good day that I should be out weeding my garden. I have to take care of business and take care of my hay crops. So I'm doing an awful lot of work, just not quite enough. But I hope that your gardens are going well, and I hope that everything is going well for you this summer. And I really do hope that you've tried some foraging. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you one last plea before I kind of back off from that for the summer. You really need to go out and fill your pantry. The food is free. All you have to do is put in some sweat equity, put in some labor, and you're going to have some very nutritious, delicious food. And this is just me, but I can't complain about the price of food when I have a whole grocery store worth of vegetables that grow natural and wild right in my barnyard. That if I had to, with my chickens providing protein through their eggs and all the vegetable matter that I have growing that's edible that I have in my barnyard, I think I could survive just fine with just my barnyard and my chickens. I've identified that many edible plants. And the good news is, is you could probably identify just as many, if not more, edible plants in your area if you just take the time to find them. But getting back to the spices I was talking about earlier, the spices you buy from a company, from a store, that you get in a can or a package of some sort, who knows how it was processed? Who knows if it has any flavor? I know that the dollar stores sell spices, but if you would take those spices and try them individually without putting them in the food, just sample them right out of their container, they're awful woody and they don't have very much flavor. 
and even if you end up buying name brand spices from a store, they just cannot compare with the freshness and goodness of your own spices you're going to make. And making your own spices is extremely easy. All you have to do is identify the plant and then harvest the plant. And when I'm making spices, I don't like to pull it. I like to cut it. So I use a sharp knife or scissors. I don't know why. Probably would be just as good to pull it. But for some reason when I'm doing spices, I, I don't like to get a lot of the stem. I go for most of the leaves. And so I pretty much have a long stem standing still in the ground after I harvest. But put them in a nice dry area out of the sun. You don't want them to bleach. And spread them out so they're not really touching each other. And leave them out for four or five days and they'll get very dry. Now, if you live in an area with high humidity like it is here this year, every time the humidity comes up, your spice is going to absorb some of that. So before you grind, you might have to put your spices in the oven at about 200 degrees for no more than five or six minutes. Just preheat your oven and put it in there just enough to get the rest of the moisture out. Then after you use a food processor or a mortar like I use or some other grinder, to grind up your spices, then immediately put them into airtight containers or Ziploc bags. But I do have to tell you this, every time that I show people my spices, they think it's dope. They think I'm harvesting dope because it's in a plastic bag. So I will warn you there that you're going to have to explain to a lot of people that no, it's not dope, it's food. But label your spices well and then learn how to use them. A lot of people make the mistake of eating these spices and they taste it and they'll go, oh, I don't like it, it's bitter. I don't like it, it's got an odd flavor or whatever the case may be. But you do not go to the store and open a can of oregano and grab a pinch of oregano and put that in your mouth and try it. You don't do that. So don't do that with the native spices. You have to be fair about it. And speaking of oregano... Oregano is extremely hard to eat all by itself. So all you have to do is grab a pinch full of that and put it on your tongue and keep it in your mouth for two or three minutes. And you'll never want to put oregano on anything ever again. But if you're cooking some Latin American dishes, and especially Italian, well, oregano is a staple. And I can tell you that there are some native spices that are just as bitter as oregano. But there's also spices that are absolutely wonderful, like when I make the mint. That is so nice and refreshing and just wonderful tasting that, that I really enjoy it. But what I'm trying to say is, is that don't take these spices by themselves. Use them in your cooking. Put it as part of your culinary. And since there's very little information out there about using your own spices, it's kind of trial and error. So what you do is if you have, let's say, four pieces of chicken you're going to fry up. Well, one piece of chicken, use one spice. The other piece of chicken, use a different one. Go ahead and season all four of the pieces of chicken separately. You might even want to cook them in a separate pan if you're really serious about it. And see which of those spices works good on chicken. Once you find out which ones taste the best, well, you either make a mental note of it or write it down in a cookbook. And you repeat that process when you're making salads or vegetables. Maybe spicing up your potatoes a bit. Try it on beef and 
fish and pork and lamb and everything else that you enjoy to eat. And then when you find out which locally grown spice works best with the different classifications of food, well, then you can start combining the spices. You can put two and three spices together. You can make your own blends. And I've really enjoyed making my own spice blends. And while some of the blends I come up with don't have a lot of use, I might find one or two uses for them, so I don't make very much of those. But other blends, you'll use them just like you use salt or pepper. You'll use them on almost everything. Now, you don't want to eat the seeds of a black-eyed Susan, but the petals are edible and also the leaves. And what I do with the petals is I use that to flavor tea. And it gives the tea a very nice golden hue to it as well. It's extremely subtle. It's not going to overpower anything. But if you just want a nice casual tea that's not strong, I recommend you try that. And then the Lazy Susan leaves, when they dry, they dry very well and get very crackly. They're very easy to process. And that's one of the spices I use on almost everything, is Black-Eyed Susan leaves. Another seasoning that works real well are the leaves of a mulberry tree. And while I'm talking about leaves, leaves of an apple tree and leaves of grapes, lilac leaves work really well. And another leaf I'm really fond of is Russian olive leaves. And I figure there's more than a few of you out there shaking your head thinking, God, this guy is totally nuts. But if you haven't tried them, don't knock them. Now, I haven't tried this yet, but I do believe you could make a porridge out of mulberry leaves. And I think it would be very edible. But each of these types of trees and leaves that I've mentioned have their own unique flavor. And you're going to find you're going to have some very pleasant surprises when you make your own spices. And then also, when you do buy store-bought fruit, like in my area, of course, you can't grow oranges. But oranges make a great spice if you keep the rind and grind it up, dry it and grind it. In most of the central regions of the United States, a plant called mugwort grows. Some people call it prairie sage. And it's kind of a whitish gray type of a plant. It never does dry. No matter how long you try to dry it out, it always stays pretty raggy. And so you have to process that with a sharp knife and just have to chop it fine. But I use that as a spice when I'm making sausage. And if I'm hungry for sausage and I don't have any in the refrigerator, but I have some hamburger, all I have to do is take about a teaspoonful per pound of hamburger and add the mugwort that's finely chopped, mix it well, fry it up, and you could tell anybody that it's homemade sausage, and nobody would complain. I don't know what it is about the mugwort, but it gives it a very good sausage flavor. And I think I mentioned it in an earlier show that it's a wonderful mosquito repellent if you burn it like incense. And that's one thing that the Native Americans used it for, was purification for their religious ceremonies. They would burn mugwort. So it has several uses, and I came up with a 23-ingredient tea that I haven't made yet this year. I really need to start making it, but mugwort is one of the ingredients that I put in my tea, 
And so it's extremely versatile. So don't be afraid to go out and experiment. And actually, if you really let it be, it can be really fun. And if you have kids and you're homeschooling, what an educational field trip. You research and find which plants, then you find a patch of these plants. Of course, don't harvest them all. Leave some of the plants so they'll grow and flourish and make more seeds for next year. But as a family, have a spice-making day. Now, you'll probably have to wear dusk masks or else you're going to be sneezing. But when you try your homemade spices the first time, and you'll start finding some that are really good, I think that you're going to have a nice sense of satisfaction, and I think the kids will be thrilled with helping the family gather the spices. Now, there are some spices you are going to hate. You're going to try them on a few things and just throw it away. And if that's the case, that's fine. You didn't pay anything for it, and you got some good exercise and some good education from your experience. And so I look at things as a win-win situation when it comes to foraging. I want to thank everybody again for the cards and the letters and the emails. I really do appreciate it. I'm starting to get some very good friends from this radio show, and I really do appreciate my friends. And two friends that I have been talking about for a little over a month that I'm going to be putting the fundraiser show together really soon. We're still trying to put everything together. But as soon as the crowdfunding site is all squared away, that's when I'll make my move and we'll do the fundraiser. I do want you to know that this fundraiser, the money's not going to come to me. I'm having this couple set up their own their own fundraising site. And I'm going to have them do it in their own words. In other words, they're going to do the work and everything's going to go direct to them. I'm not going to see anything. Nothing's going to come through my mail. Nothing's going to come through me. I know I did have someone who did donate. And when the fundraiser is going, that will go. I will put that amount into their Give, Send, Go site. I think that's what, I think that's what they're looking at is Give, Send, Go. And so that's one of the things that's coming up pretty soon. But in the meantime, I want everyone to live your life, be happy, be productive. I think that we're having a lot of scales lifted off of our eyes. We're seeing the evil that these leaders are. We're seeing that they're buffoons. And they're not worthy of leading anybody. And they're not competent either. And I really feel that somewhere down the line, I don't know how soon, but I think that we're going to have protests like happened in France are going to grow and go all over the world. And all these so-called elites are going to be deposed. I really do think that's going to happen. But I am going to say this, if it doesn't happen, then we're just going to get more of same, more debt, more inflation. And it's my understanding that the interest on the debt the yearly interest on the debt of the United States is over a trillion dollars for interest. And I guess these imbeciles have spent three times more money in Washington than what Washington brought in through taxes this year. You add all of that up, it's just a train wreck. Because pretty soon they're going to look at you and me and they're going to want their money. 
so they can throw it away and give more to Ukraine. It's a sad, sad world, folks. But just hang in there. You're worth it. And I do appreciate you listening to my show. And also, I'd like to ask you to consider donating to this program to keep it on the air. Donations are down, got to be honest. But I know that inflation's up and people are scared about their money. And also, there are people that are worried that I'm keeping their address or something, that I'm keeping their address or contact information if they send in a check. And no, I don't. All I do with an envelope is see where it came from. And I'm not even looking at the town. I just look at the state and say, oh, this one's from Michigan. Oh, this one's from Texas, and so forth and so on. I read everyone's letter, but I have never written down or stored in any way anyone's name and address. I don't even keep people's email addresses. I think that I think that, that kind of happens automatically in an email, but I don't have a list of people who have contributed or asked me questions or contacted me. Now, I do have a few listeners that have my personal phone number because we talk once in a while. And, of course, I have their personal phone number, too, but it stays with me. It goes no farther than me. And so if you've been on the fence, whether to donate or not, thinking that somehow information might be out in the ether somewhere through me, ain't happening. I guarantee you. And I would appreciate your support. I have some people that send rather large donations, and those are a godsend, and I appreciate it. And also, I've had people that send in one or two dollars, and I know that's all that they can afford. And I appreciate that just as much, because it comes from the heart. I take checks, money orders, and you can also send cash. And you would write the checks out to Thunderbolt West Media, and you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, and the zip code is 69143, that's 69143, and I do appreciate you listening this week, and until next time, everyone, be safe, be happy. Be blessed. But most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.